You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, it's great being with you guys. Happy Easter. My name's Pastor Ryan. Uh, A few years ago, I walked onto this campus, and having spotted it from the highway, it was a run-down old dump. Each building was severely damaged Much of the property was destroyed after the Great Recession. It was a wedding venue and a restaurant, a vibrant place of celebration, and it laid in ruins. It was abandoned, and it became the home of drifters, druggies, and the devious. Snakes, coyotes, javelina, tumbleweeds, trash littered the ground, windows were shattered, And it looked like a God-forsaken land. After walking the property by myself one afternoon, I was mumbling a prayer to the Lord. And I sensed that this was the perfect campus that needed a resurrection. I stood in front of that parking lot, right in front of that building. And I bent down and I kissed the ground. And I said, Lord, please enable us to buy this property and renovate it so it could become a oasis for the North Valley to bring new life. And by God's grace, in the last 18 months, we purchased the property, we renovated it, and thousands and thousands of man hours and hundreds of people praying and serving and giving to this project. And we know that we got a fixer-upper. We know this place has got a lot of work. And just last week, We were planning on having our certificate of occupancy for these buildings by Friday, and that didn't happen. And we decided it was too important not to cancel the services and go back to Harkins Theater, and we said, we'll do it outside. God is the maker of heaven and earth. Listen, our volunteers have worked really hard and given lots of time, and uh, those inspectors will get out here next week. And we'll get those buildings open just as soon as we can. Today is not the grand opening, it's Easter. The grand opening will be in the fall. This is just moving in and you guests get a sneak peek of what this church is all about. Sunday morning services will be right here on the campus. And today is an incredibly special day. I want to say thank you first to our Lord Jesus Christ who's with us all the time, everywhere we go in life. And he opened this place up and he designed it and planned it and purposed it that you would be here today. I want to thank the church, all of you guys who have served tremendously. I want to thank the community, special mentions to Madison Granite who gave us 500 tons of DG. The Bible says if you have faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. We moved a mountain right over there to over here. Want to thank Tim Green and RS Grading, Preferred Trucking, Justin Dawson, Patton and Associates, Elevate Construction. I want to thank our staff, and I want to thank uh, our resident work crew that has been so faithful to work hard and get this campus open. This wouldn't be possible without you guys. And I want to thank uh, you guests who are here. As they say in Spanish, mi casa, su casa. So this is your place. My home is your home. Let's celebrate what God's been doing. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. 
The one who believes in me will live even though they die. God's got a bigger plan than life on earth. He's planned an eternity with you. He desires for you to know the newness of life. He desires for you to know that Easter is more than about an Easter bunny or egg hunts. Though I will tell you, as a kid, I grew up in a household where we participated in the traditions, and it was fun. I remember one time going into the mall as a little kid, and they brought me into, uh, I guess, a photo booth, and there, lo and behold, was this gigantic creature called the Easter Bunny. And uh, I was terrified. It freaked me out, and my parents tried to get me to hold still for that shot. I want to show you a couple of pictures of children that have been terrified over the years by the Easter Bunny. Countless children will be terrified by the Easter Bunny today and uh, yesterday, and, and uh, more than 180 million eggs will be decorated this Easter. Uh, we do that tradition as well. I heard that that started in Germany and it is filtrated into the United States. But yet 92% of people in the U.S. believe that Jesus is real. 92%. Who believes Jesus Christ was actually a real person? Elderly people, 96% believe that Jesus was real. The baby boomers, it's 95%. The Gen Xers, that's my generation. The MTV misfit generation. The millennials, 87% believe Jesus is real. I think it would be a shame if we got through the Easter holiday without recognizing that Jesus Christ is perhaps one of the most loved and hated person on the earth. I remember when I was in college, I studied world religion underneath a Jewish professor who did not believe Jesus was the son of God. And he diligently worked to convince me that Jesus was not the son of God. I loved this man. His name was Dr. Ember. And he taught me a lot about world religion. And through that time frame, I began to see the magnificence of Jesus Christ unparalleled to every other world religious leader. Jesus, he befriended misfits and mess ups. Jesus befriended the cynics and the skeptics. He openly said he could forgive sins. He called himself God and he did miracles. He fed the hungry, he healed the sick. He mentored a dirty dozen men called the 12 disciples. He preached an exclusive message, yet he was radically inclusive in his relationships. Even the most commonly used calendar today is a testimony of the fame of Jesus Christ, dividing history into a period before and a period after Jesus, before Christ, B.C. and A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. Jesus, and his name in Hebrew is Yeshua, and it means the Lord is salvation. 2,000 years ago, he was brutally executed by Roman soldiers. He had predicted his death, his burial, his resurrection. And today, more than 2.2 billion people attempt to follow his teachings and believe he is God. That includes 77% of the United States believes this. His message is unique from all other religious leaders. He claimed not to know the way of salvation, but he claimed to be the way of salvation. He didn't claim to be a prophet, 
but he claimed himself to be the son of God himself, a king of glory, which got him crucified. This is, he is unique among all others, such as Buddha, Joseph Smith, Gandhi, Muhammad, and more. I want to talk to you today about the first Easter. I want to remind you about the very first Easter that ever took place. Jesus Christ had been with his disciples. He'd spent about three years of his life declaring and demonstrated the righteousness of God, showing himself and sharing his love to the world around him. And it sent shockwaves throughout the Roman Empire and brought him to his notorious fame that he has today. A few observations after we see the death in the burial of Jesus Christ, we pick up on the scene and we see a confused group of disciples questioning and wondering what in the world happened. In the Jewish mindset, the idea of a resurrection was a bit foggy. The idea that Jesus Christ would raise from the dead was not clear at all. And so for them to see their king, their loved one, their Messiah be crucified and buried was a tragedy. Their closest friend, the one who had performed miracles in their life, was now gone. And we see in the very beginning, I want to mark out for today, five observations is what we'll see. The first is that we'll see faithful disciples go with what they know. The Bible says that on the first day, that Sunday of the week, at early dawn, in the very beginning of the morning, I think it's fitting in the very beginning of the morning, It's a new day. It's a new time. They went to that tomb and they took the spices that they had prepared. It was tradition in Jewish culture that on the third day after uh, someone was uh, buried in a tomb, that they would go examine the body and prepare uh, the body to preserve it for a season of uh, just to be able to be remembered and cherished and they, the ladies go in and they had prepared. Verse 2 says, and they found the stone was rolled away. A couple of things they thought likely could have happened is that maybe the guards had rolled the tomb. The Bible says is that there was a massive earthquake and rolled open that tomb and the angel's power rolled open that tomb. They find this though and they're confused. But verse three says, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now remember in Jewish mindset, the idea of a resurrection of Jesus Christ was at best foggy. So these young women walk into the tomb And they have a few things to consider, as do all of us in understanding what happened on that first Easter day. The tomb is empty. Here are some possible options. A, could be someone stole the body, uh, which many have argued that that's exactly what happened. God didn't raise Jesus from the dead. No, somebody stole his body to fake a resurrection. The problem with that idea is that the tomb was guarded by Roman soldiers who were the strongest military force of the day, empire leaders, and so it's impossible that someone had stole the body. Secondly, the, some say he was accidentally buried alive. After I walk through the accounts and the description of a crucifixion, I think you can X that off your list. 
He was not buried alive. Or the third option would be is that Jesus actually rose from the dead. That option right there is what New Testament Christianity hinges all of its faith. The apostle Paul says, if Jesus isn't raised from the grave, then all the preaching is worthless. It's worthless. We serve a dead God. But the Bible proclaims that Jesus was the son of God and that he rose again on the third day. The second observation that I wanna point out to you is that God's gonna send his messengers to help. Maybe today God has sent a messenger this word, this scripture, my voice in your ears to help you in your life. The Bible says is that when we open up the word that it never returns void. Some of you are here with tragic circumstances and you need the help from heaven. What we see in this text for these mourning, confused, uh, saddened young ladies who enter into the tomb to find it empty is they'll be comforted by God's sending his help. In verse four, it says, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. These were angels. Verse five says, and and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, these would have been angels. Why do you seek the living among the dead? In other words, they're reminding these young ladies that Jesus had promised that he would rise again. Jesus had promised that he would not be dead, but he would rise again. I want to take just a moment to help you understand angels. Angels brought messages. In the Bible, we see that angels bring a message to Joseph and Mary about Jesus's unique birth, a -a one-of-a-kind birth. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, a supernatural birth, and God sends an angel to share that message. In the Bible, we see angels were ministers to those in need. Even Jesus, when he went out into the wilderness for 40 days to prepare his life for ministry, angels come and minister to him. And the prophet Elijah was ministered by angels. Angels today minister to us. Angels are assigned by God for special missions to help protect. In the book of Daniel, we get the understanding of the idea of a guardian angel. What does this mean for us at Easter? It means that God has used supernatural means to communicate his unfailing love, that he's alive, that he's not dead, and that you can place your hope in him. Easter for you and for me is a chance for new life. Easter for you and me is a chance for new hope, a new start. Easter for you and me is new love, a new life, a new heart. Because our Lord is not dead, our Lord is alive. We get a new mind and a new soul when we come to Jesus. We get a new beginning. And it's for your good that you receive this. You receive the help from God's supernatural work. Third observation I want to point out point out is that God always keeps his promises. He's a promise maker and he's a promise keeper. He, the Bible says that the angel speaks up and says this, he's not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. Jesus did that willingly He didn't do it because he was forced by men. The Bible says 
that this was all planned out. And when Pontius Pilate looks to Jesus and says, don't you know that I have the power to, to, uh, get, to kill you or to, to, to preserve your life? Jesus responds and says to him, you have no power that has been given to you that hasn't been first been granted by my father. Jesus Christ went, walked into the cross willingly, openly to serve as a sacrifice for our sins. And on the third day, he rose again. Jesus is a promise maker and a promise keeper. He had predicted this. He had planned this. He walked willingly to that cross for you and for me so that he could demonstrate his most perfect love so that he could stand in our place and pay the price that we couldn't pay. If you were to walk into one of the world's greatest libraries and say, I need some books about promises and predictions and prophecies, they would hand you a pile of books and you would see all sorts of promises, predictions and prophecies and fortune telling and all that. But then if you ask that librarian, give me the book that has got the most promises fulfilled, the one and only, the most promises fulfilled, that librarian would give you the Bible. The Bible is filled with dozens upon dozens of prophecies concerning the life of Christ, his birth, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Why did God do this? He did this to show you that he's a promise maker and a promise keeper and God's word is true and you can stand on it, trust on it, believe in it. You can believe that Jesus Christ is not dead so you have no dead hope, you have a living hope. And so in God's word, we find a great sense of hope. The crucifixion, he walked into the cross. It was invented by Persians around 500 BC. It was perfected by the Romans for the most horrendous criminals. It was illegal for Romans to be crucified, but they crucified our Lord. Finally, it was outlawed in the fourth century with Constantine. The Jewish historian Josephus said it was the most wretched of deaths. Roman philosopher Circio says, don't even speak about it. It was so horrendous. It was the malicious tactic of Hitler to crucify Jews and those that were insubordinate. We see the crucifixion was a tremendous and a terrible way to die. It was one of the worst ways that any person could be crucified was be nailed to that wooden cross. If it was said that when Spartacus, a leader in the old world was fell dead, that in, in, when they defeated his military, that they crucified up to 6,000 of his soldiers and lined them 120 miles along the Roman world roads. That would be like crucifix all the way from Phoenix to Flagstaff. It was intended to humiliate you. It was intended to embarrass you. And your body would lay there for days before you would die. You would actually die, not because of the scourging, although that happened with a cat of nine tails, a leather whip that was woven in with glass and metal intended to tenderize the flesh. No, you would die of suffocation. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, goes to the cross for you and for me. He kept his promises the prophet Isaiah predicted thousands of years before that he would be wounded for our transgressions, 
that he would serve as a substitute, that the sin that you and I commit and violate against God in every single way, there would be justice, but God doesn't want to choose you to bear that justice. He chooses Christ, his son, because he's a perfect substitute. And he took upon himself all the sins of the world. Every sin that you've committed in the past, in the present, and in the future, Jesus takes that upon himself on the cross. And so when we see that cross, and we see that empty tomb, we need to remember that God always keeps his promises. The promise for forgiveness was fulfilled when Jesus took on your cross, took on the cross. Jesus promises forgiveness for all of us, no matter what we've done or where we're at. I wanna remind you that Jesus is more concerned about not where you're at right now. He's concerned about who you're becoming. He's not so concerned about what you've done in the past. He's concerned about who you're becoming. Your past, Jesus says that he went to the cross so that he could forgive sins. He promised that. He told his disciples that. The promise of new life was fulfilled when Jesus rose from the dead. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said there was a great exchange that happened at the cross You can go to the cross and remember the cross and you go to him and you give him your sin and he will make an exchange with you that he will not only forgive your sin and counsel out your sin, but he will give to you his righteousness, his new life, his hope, his strength. In the cross and in the resurrection, in the cross and in the empty tomb, we can give him our fear and he can give us faith. With the cross in the empty tomb, we realize that in his life and in his death and in his resurrection, we can give him our anxiety and he promises to give us peace. We can give him our hate and he'll give us love. He'll give it, when we give him doubt, he'll restore it with hope. When we give him our stress, he'll give us his peace. When we give him our sin, he'll give us righteousness. At the cross, And at the empty tomb, we see God's promises that even the skeptical, God wants to minister to. Some of you stand skeptical about the work of Jesus Christ. You call him a great teacher, a great leader. But Jesus said, I I am not that. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. There is no other person that you need to concern yourself with as much as the person in the work of Jesus Christ. When I first became a Christian, I had a radical transformational experience. It was more emotional than it was intellectual. And then I went into college and I decided to ensure and safeguard my faith And I put myself under a Jewish professor so that I would be disproved of any false notion of a false relationship with God because I didn't want to spend the rest of my life following a myth, a fantasy, a folklore, legend. I wanted to be sure. And when I came out of that study, and after years of studying the Bible, receiving two master's degrees from Dallas Seminary, I walked out all the more confident that the promise of Jesus Christ and the person and the work of Jesus Christ is for everyone. And he is alive. He's here. 
He walks with you. He, he knows you better than you know yourself. He loves you better than you love yourself. He loves you better than your friends love you. God wants to do anything he can to convince men and women. And many of you men stand calloused hearts. And even that's exactly what happened on the first Easter. The men, Jesus' followers, were angry. They were frustrated. They were let down by their leader. They were expecting this revolutionary man named Jesus to overthrow the Roman Empire. And he didn't do it. He was crucified and humiliated, embarrassing for their cause. They had given up two, two and a half years of their life to follow this guy, and he's God. And God says, I'll use the women to help these men believe. I want these men to believe. The Bible says, after that encounter with angels, when the women were at the tomb, they remembered his words. They were awakened to their senses and they returned from the tomb and they told these things to the 11 and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But the words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. Here are the women. They've seen, they've seen the empty tomb. Mary Magdalene, a woman who had been incredibly unfaithful and with men, she finds the faithfulness of Jesus Christ overwhelming. He forgives her sins. Her life has been transformed. She encounters and she meets Jesus Christ right after she sees that empty tomb. And she runs to tell the disciples, I've seen him. He's alive. Don't you remember? He said he was going to do this. But they were steeped in tradition. They were steeped in the physical and didn't believe in the spiritual. And they had forgotten. And God uses these women to help these men believe. Looking back on your life, men, I wonder how many women have been praying for you that you would believe. I can remember, see, I was a, a hellion kid growing up. At one point in high school, I was selling drugs to the Crips, the Bloods, and the KKK. Talk about a dangerous situation. I had this old lady named Miss Starrett praying for me. And she was a sweet old lady. And every time I saw her in the community, she would just point her finger at me and say, I've been praying for you. It spooked me. I was scared. Because I knew that this woman had been had a reputation of praying all the time. My mom, when I would come home from parties late at night, I would take my parents' car, steal it, go out for the night, come back at 4 a.m. My mom would be on her knees praying for me. I would see her with her Bible open and I could hear her from a distance praying for me. I wonder if there's men here today no, I know there are. That God wants to use a woman in your life to help you believe more. If that's not what it takes, God promises he's gonna get a hold of you. He wants you to know him. What we see, the fifth observation this morning on that first Easter is that Peter and the rest finally get it. See, Peter was one of those 
crazy followers. He had a good fishing business and in an instant, he gives it up so that he'll follow Jesus. His brother had been hearing about John the Baptist proclaiming about this Messiah coming and Peter was an early adopter. He was an early adopter to follow Jesus and he went all in and then he gets incredibly disappointed. But then when Mary comes, Peter's the one who finally gets it. And then the rest begin to see that Jesus is not dead. He is alive. The Bible says that Peter rose and ran to the tomb. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. See, for a period of about 40 days, Jesus presented himself after his resurrection. The Bible notes there were 12 different sightings to crowds, up to 500 people where Jesus walked into the room, walked into the crowd and presented himself as the son of God resurrected. He presented himself one-on-one to a gentleman named Doubting Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas because he was a skeptic. When he first saw Jesus, he thought he was a ghost. And he says, "I, I don't believe that it's really you. If it's really you, Jesus, would you stretch out your hands and let me see? Because I I saw you crucified. And Jesus stretches out his hands and shows Thomas the wounds upon his hands where he was crucified. Jesus goes to the nth degree to show his love and his care for you and for me. The Bible says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Anyone who comes, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Death is a real deal. Every single one of you will die one day. Unless the Lord decides to come back ahead of time. I find death to be a bitter reminder of the fragility of life. Just last Friday, I took uh, this just a couple days ago. Around 6.45 a.m., I was on a date with my daughter. And I take my kids out on Fridays or kind of rotate them. And we went to breakfast at McDonald's down there at Deer Valley. Take that for a date. We walked in the door and we noticed everyone was watching the news. And people stood in shock as the reporter broke out the tragic news about a 22-year-old young man that was driving southbound on northbound lanes of I-17 and crashed into two beautiful sisters, 19 and 20. One of them was a GCU student and they were driving northbound. This was on April 14th and all three were killed in the wreck. When I saw this on the TV, I hugged my daughter and I said to her, those are someone's kids. A son and two daughters, they're gone. And I secretly wished I didn't know them. Around 9 a.m., I got a phone call from Pastor Jonathan. And he shared with me some bad news. He said, Mary Ann Morton, a beloved member of our church, just lost two of her granddaughters in a car crash. I fell to my knees And I prayed, God, I wish I didn't know them. 
One of those young girls would come and attend North Valley from time to time. I called my good friend Bill, who serves as a counselor, Dr. Yarger, here at North Valley. I said, will you go with me to help mourn and pray and comfort? Words cannot express the pain one feels when you find such loss. But I can say that these girls passed from death to life in an instant. It was a seamless transition, and they rest in the arms of their heavenly father now. Their faith was strong, and I'm confident that we must never take for granted each day that we have because of the work of Jesus Christ. We can live forever, and death is not the end. It is a new beginning. That is promise, is what Jesus said in John eleven twenty five. 25. He says, I am the resurrection and life. And anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. I'm gonna ask you a question. If you were to die today, tonight, would you be certain that your position in heaven would be secure? I asked a gentleman the other day, I said, if you were to die today, are you sure that you would go to heaven? This was just after our service last weekend. And he said to me, no, I'm not sure at all. And I said, well, the Bible says that you can be sure simply by doing this. The Bible says, Jesus spoke up and says, I am the resurrection in life. Anyone who believes in me, no matter what your past is, no matter where you're at right now, he says, will live even after dying. I want to talk to you about the, the great grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that he offers. The Apostle Paul wrote about it. The Bible says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If you were to die and you were to go to heaven today, and I would say to you, what gets you into heaven? Here's what I usually hear. Well, I've done a lot of good things. And Jesus isn't interested in what you've done because we all know, and God knows too, we all blow it. We all mess up. The Bible says, for by grace you've been saved. And that means that it's God's grace that saves you. It's not your works. It's nothing that you can do. You'll never be good enough in a hundred years to be good enough to get into heaven. The only thing you need is to place your faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. What gets you into heaven is a, even the faith of a mustard seed to believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord. You can't be good enough, but Jesus was. You can't do enough uh, good works, but Jesus has. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. God offers you a gift it's not a result of works so that no one can boast. I want to invite you to bow your head and pray with me. Some of you are here today and you, have not a, you don't have a peace about your eternity, about where would you would go after this life on earth. Jesus promised 
and told us, he said, in this world, you're going to face trouble. But if you take heart and believe in me, I've overcome the world, Jesus says. I think if those girls were here today, they would tell you and testify there's no promises that life is going to be easy, but there is a promise that God will help us, that he'll never leave us, and that we have a hope that goes way beyond this life. I want to invite you to pray with me a prayer of salvation for all of you who are unsure about your eternal destiny and where you are right now. Pray with me silently. Heavenly Father, I come before you right now and I admit that I have sinned. I've done a lot of things in my past, God, that I'm not proud of. And I believe today, at least that of faith of a mustard seed. And would you move that mountain of disbelief right now? Would you move that mountain of hate and that hurt? And I pray right now, Lord, that you give me the faith right now to believe in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Would you resurrect me? I confess you today as Lord. I confess you today as the Son of God. I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that God, you raised Jesus Christ from the grave. And I'm willing to walk with you and trust in you. And all of you who prayed that with your heads bowed, would you just raise your hand so I can see you right now? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Keep your heads bowed. Raise your hand so I can see you. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. You in the back. You right there on the side. Praise God. You don't have to worry anymore. Jesus has promised your future. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the message of salvation. That we can believe right now. And God, you say that when we place our faith in you, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And God, we pray right now on this first Easter at North Valley that you begin to invite and envelop us to a new life, a new hope, a new start, a new heart, a new mind a new soul, a new beginning. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we thank you. You are not dead, but you are alive. Jesus reigns in heaven and on earth. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. We're going to continue to sing, Would You Stand With Us? Praise God for all of you that just placed your faith in Jesus Christ. I welcome you to this church as your family. We are committed to you. A great number of you have made that decision to follow Jesus Christ. And we welcome you into our church family. Praise God. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.